Anna. Nisa. Anna Morgan. <laughs> Anna Momo. Has anybody ever called you that? <laughs> no. Anna Momo. I feel like they do Anna Banana, and that's probably worn out. Did they call you that as a kid? Is that a thing All that you did? All the time, right? actually. The game, you know, Anna Banana. It's a good Playing the piano. Yeah. Did you do the clap thingies where they do the, like, you know, did the splits. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Were you ever able to do the thing uh, in the playground where they had the bars, and you put one leg over it, and then you would swirl around, you know, like do little spins over and over again? Uh, that would happen in California. I grew up in California. I used to do the thing where I'd climb to the top of the monkey bars and then I put both my, like bend my knees and then you hang from your knees and then um, reach the other one and then, you know, sort okay. of flip down. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. But then one time I fell from mm. the top and mm. that hurt. Mm -hmm. I think I stopped doing it. Yeah. Maybe. Thank you for coming with us today. Oh. Uh, I met Anna Morgan last night. Lo immediately. Just as the kids say, vibing. And then, you know, I was like, you know what? Let's just have a cocktail. Let's relax. Let's put on our robes. Let's just, let's, let's have a chat. I've been drinking uh, mezcal for two days. People who know me know I don't drink, so this is funny. Oh. Well, <laughs> you're, in, uh, you're in Chola Russell Simmons' house, and they have, an, I mean, they could be their own mezcalito. Like, we yeah. should do a speakeasy, by the way. Let's talk about that. Put it on the notes. When in Rome. The playground. You know, I once got punched on the, on the monkey bars. I was uh, protecting girls, as I still do. Uh, and uh, yeah, they did not like that. And the guy just fucking so just socked me right in the eye. And, and I—that was my first taste of injustice. Have you ever had any injustice on the playground? Um. Well, have I had injustice on like on the playground of life, or just oh, like? Oh man, we're gonna get there. So <laughs> in that. We're gonna we're gonna keep walking up that uh, up that cliff. Playground I would say, sounds yeah. like it was a fun time until um, you fell. Yeah, I was actually kind of like a weird kid um until I figured out I was kind of speaking about this I was like a pretty introverted and a bit shy until I like forced myself to be like more social and extroverted it would take me like a little bit of time to warm up to people maybe that's still true but I would say I'm more confident so people aren't aware of like the internal conversation that's mm -hmm. happening I think sometimes like an idea or like something will will like straight up like I'll hear a sentence in my head mm. and then I'll be like that's not mine. Like, that's not me. You know, so and good that you say this. Yeah. It's true. You can't trust every voice in your head. You can't trust every voice in your head. You don't know who they are, but you, you can't be like, I don't like it. I don't like what you just said. I'm not going to do it. You know? <laughs> you, you're in playground. Let's go back to the, where, where, where was this playground? Where did you, where did you grow? Oh, uh, I grew up in the Bronx. Oh, love. Yeah, I'm from mm -hmm. like the middle of the Bronx. Boogie down. The boogie down. Mm -hmm. yeah. What was it like during that time? Because we're like, uh, I, I, we're similar in age, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I feel as if like, you know, we're we're talking about hip hop being birthed uh, the boogie downs around the you know, late seventies and such. And so you're you're coming around. You're 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 opening. You're presented to the world. There's a little anime coming out, <laughs> you know, figuring things out. Like, what was the Bronx like during the time? Like Reagan's, I think, in office. At that point? Uh, when I was growing up in the Bronx, it was really sketch. Like, uh, it was a lot of. It was during the crack epidemic, right? So it was crack epidemic. Reagan. I wasn't allowed outside. My family's like very strict Christian Jamaicans. Yeah. A lot of children being stolen around that time too. Yeah, outside either. We weren't allowed out. I was saying, I, just, I learned how to ride a bicycle when I was 21 at Burning Man. Oh, wow. That oh, was that's like, difficult to ride that. that I ha Well, you had to, right? right. It was like, how else are you going to get yeah. along? They were like, right. all right, here's the bike. Figure yeah. it out. And yeah. I was like, here we go. There's yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like dust kicking up. Uh, and it's on, you're on acid. Everything's glowing. Mm, you're like, where am I? I? <laughs> you know, I, I went to I went to Burning Man just to see what it's about. He said, "Let me go. Let me go." I was depressed. I was out of work. I was like, you know, taking a break, and I was like, "Oh, now go. I've got time." And you know, I I found that there's lots of lights and sometimes hot dogs. But I had a couple jobs. I got a couple jobs hot there. Dogs, it was fresh nice. salmon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get every, almost anything you want. Pretty uh, much. Do you have a playa name? No. Yeah, me neither. Somebody yeah. asked, and I was like, my playa name's Dave, and then I walked away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, when was the last time you were at the BM? 2007. So, a, a little bit of an OG. At that point, they're kind of moving They're moving towards more of the massive part of it. They're maybe taking away my Yeah, there was go. maybe like around like 30,000 mm, or something mm -hmm. that was going at the time. I hear it's like twice as big. But I have friends that went back then who still go now and still have an amazing time. And then there's all the the romantics, I like to call them, like the people who are like, it's not as good as it used to be. Right, like nothing's right, right. ever Nothing as good as, as it good. used yeah. to be. Yeah. 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 Especially if you go over and over again, right? Like, you don't. Know, it's kind of like um, doing your first whip it. 
You know? <laughs> that's just amazing. Your first whip it of the night. Because I was going to say, I was chasing that. I once found the, the, the theory of infinity on a whip it, and I think I held on to it. Um, but I was doing whippets out of a bunny, it's a bunny called, uh, like a little bunny that I found in a, in a, it was like a random toy bin and I was like searching, I was on acid and I was like searching, I picked him up, I was like, mm, you'll do. And I, I, I was like, you'll do. And I took him around with me and uh, named him Dante because I was doing, I stuck the whippet can in his little hands and then I was just like, ah. and that's yeah, the Inferno, the Infinity and Dante still with me to this day. I like to take him out every once in a while and we go and do a little camping trip. That sounds a little sinister, uh, Dante. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I immediately think of like now we're in hell. Oh, but Dante, you know, like you, because with this, I have never. I mean, like I've heard like the fabric of space time mm. ripping like on whippets, especially like the combination of like whippets and psychedelics. But I don't think I've ever had a dark time on whippets. It wasn't dark. It was yeah. fun. I just like laughing. Oh yeah, I, I guess. Was, like, Looking at it, and I started laughing. In actuality, I think hell would be fun. Here's the thing. Make friends with the devil. That's what I say. I say, if it's, you know, when they're like, you're going to go to hell for whatever you you do when you like. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm a, I'm a, I'm an affable person. I think that the Satans would love me. I think that all the little demons. The Satans would love me. You know, I think they would. There's probably more than one. (laughs) Here's the thing about that also. Here's what, you know, like I was thinking about the other day is that, you know, whenever they try to say, oh, you're going to go to hell and you're going to be fucking tortured forever. I'm like, that's really funny how the, the version of this hell that I think that like hardcore Christians have is like inflicting pain only on them, right? Like it's never saying like, you know, you're going to watch fucking immigrant children drown in the ocean as they're doing this day. I'm like, that's fucking hell. You know what I mean? Like, if you're asking me, I'm worried about hell. It's like, I mean, fine, whip me. I guess I can still feel, I don't know. I'm in fucking hell. Like, you know, like, do I have a concept of time in there even? You know, what's hell is watching what's actually happening today. And I do feel like I've hopped into a really weird timeline of sorts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, big up our parents for, like, (laughs) hopping. Like, basically, they didn't have, like, any major wars, like, you yeah, know, like yeah. they like they actually like had a pretty peaceful time. They could still like afford to buy houses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, that was a good, habit, a decent timeline. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for the whole fact that their children were being fucking stolen. Like the eighties, mm. they're just ripping children left and right off the streets. Um, yeah, we were legit. I was just uh, saying this, Christina. Like we were not, we were not allowed out. You weren't. Allowed. I wasn't even allowed to go on like class trips. Like wow. they wouldn't sign the permission slip. They're like, why do you want to go there to this museum so someone can take you and rape you and throw you off in a corner? Oh, why? Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, what do you that? mean? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, and I never really. I just I remember like until I was like a teenager. It's like with you, always with the raping and the throwing in the corner <laughs> and then in the ditches. It's like you gotta sing a new song because now I'm numb. But I have to say that like there there's some legitimacy to that. I never got raped right. and I have I feel very fortunate because I remember I went to a military boarding school for high school for like three years and I was like, This is gonna get serious. I was like fifteen years old and I was sitting around in a circle with like six of us total and the girls started telling rape stories. And I was the only one that didn't have one. And you're like, I wasn't allowed outside or to the museum. Was it, did, did y'all get raped in the museum? Because that's where I was told it would happen. I, and one girl's like, yes, I did. You know? <laughs> and I like, and that, I mean, like, it's almost like, um, you know, it's so rare, I think, almost for a woman not to be sexually assaulted or to have a, a sort yeah, of sexual assault. Yeah, something like one in four. Good, yeah. It's yeah, a, it's pretty insane. People have herpes more than they do get sexually assaulted. They're like three in four people. And they're like, well, one in four has been raped. <laughs> And so that's, wait, hold on. Does that sound right? Maybe it's flipped over. Maybe it's one in four of herpes and three in four ever. And none of this, is, there's nothing wrong with any of them. We're just throwing out statistics. And I didn't go to college, so I don't know anything about statistics. <laughs> I know. You can fast forward this part if you'd like. Uh, yeah, the, the growing up, why, 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 why military high school? What would you do? Oh. Do something? You steal a car? You go joyriding? <laughs> no, my... Uh... My dad uh, was a Marine. He was an ex-Marine. That's how I happened. And um, uh, he had gotten remarried. And it, you know, like those Latinas that watch like way too much novelas. Oh, man. And they try oh. to like live their life yeah. like they're like in a novella. Constantly this is my stepmother. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I ended yeah. up getting like booted out of the house yeah yeah, and, yeah. yeah. She's like, you're gonna be a she problem. was like i'm gonna have this right. man to myself that's you know so kind wild of thing to me, that yeah. stepmother's well i've heard the story you know like i don't have one she's so like 
it's like the quintessential like like stepmom like from like a bad tv show that i'm like how can you be so cliche and okay with it you know you know, uh, you know my mother we've my brother and i have also said that my mother does um you know personify like different characters in, in tv shows i also think she has borderline personality disorder so oh. she doesn't know who she is <laughs> but like you know like it's like it, i do feel that way like i when i think about growing up like i don't think she ever had anything she could really kind of pass on to me or like kind of you know like or bond with me on because she was always kind of playing some character she's latina obviously mm -hmm. and like native american um, you know, but it's like, I do find that interesting because now hearing it from you and like maybe like another perspective. And I think also one of my other friends whose mother will do that. Like she'll say like something like, Oh, hello sunshine. And she's like, but you've never said that in, in my entire life. What novella did you see where they say that all the time? <laughs> you're now adopting that behavior. So you're, you're part Jamaican and an Okinawan. Who was, yeah. who was who? So my dad's Jamaican and my mom's Okinawan. Mm -hmm. Have yeah. you ever been to either or? I was born in Okinawa mm -hmm. and then um, we moved to the States when I was like two to the Bronx, to my grandma's house. We moved to a house full of Jamaican ladies, basically. Nice. So we had like a family in each room. So it was like mm -hmm. me and my dad and my mom in one bedroom, like auntie and two kids in another bedroom, another auntie and her daughter another. Great auntie, great grandparents, grandparents, all my Lots grandma's of kids. house. No one's allowed outside. And All we the were kids not were allowed outside. Yeah. They're like, find a room and yeah. go to it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all you can do. Just I don't care which room, just figure it out. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had a front yard and a backyard. We were allowed oh, nice. out there. Yeah. Like kind of. It was like a stoop with like it's like a cement stoop and mm -hmm. like a little thing, and then like yard, and then right. there was a little garden in the back. So we could be like out side but yeah. not like leave the premises mm. you know i love that, that my friend had she had a place in queens and she had like a pretty nice backyard a little like you know she lived in just a little brown stone apartment and whatnot but like she was like the backyard's all mine i was like that's so lucky for you to do that you know get, yeah get to a spot i mean we like grew like callaloo and like what's a callaloo isn't that child the french child it's like a child <laughs> like he's got his balls got the one head thing that's the thing right that's his name callaloo is it callaloo is it, was it i don't remember i think that? i i was it beanstalk i don't know what a callaloo is he was a child oh. he was french named oh, yeah. callaloo. i think that's what his name is <laughs> it was after my time um i think uh Oh, that callaloo is just like a green. It's mm. sort of like a collard nice. green, nice. like a Jamaican mm -hmm. green. Yeah. A lot of That's beef like patties. You have some beef patties cooking around in there. I love a beef patty. I do love a beef patty. Mm. Yeah. So you know what? Even the frozen Oxtail. Oxtail is oxtail. probably oxtail Delicious. rice and peas like my comfort dish. <sighs> For sure. How do you do? You, do you make the oxtails yourself? You go and you kind of steam around. You got a crock pot, you know. I do have a crock pot. I love a crock uh, pot. Yeah. I guess we call them slow cookers. It's kind yeah. of like calling Kleenex and tissue or a band aid. Is a band aid? That's a band aid is also a, a, a name brand. brand. Yeah, yeah. How lucky. You know what I mean? Like yeah. how lucky they are to make a thing and then become the household name and like I invented band aids. <laughs> I don't know who is. That? I wonder <laughs> what kind of money the children like that. Who is the the heir to like band aids? Right. Like, what are Who's they the got going on? Who's the band aid sure. heir? Is their house full of them? Do they have like a life? You know, like they're like, hey, you're my friend. Here's a pack of band aids <laughs> for I'm the rest of your lousy, life. Right. I'm just lousy <laughs> with band aids everywhere. I'm, just taking, I'm sick of seeing them. Got to get rid of them. Something to think of. I was thinking about the person recently who. Um, came up with the phrase, up your butt and around the corner. I was on acid in the woods and I was peeing and I was like, you know what? That phrase, up your butt, you ever hear about that? Up mm. your butt and around the corner? Uh, I wonder if they like put that on their gravestone because it's such a, you can't monetize it, but people, someone said it. Maybe a cousin said it to somebody else. I kept going. I really think it's funny how like slang terms or like phrases end up in like our shared lexicon. Like mm. um, my friend was telling me this story about how in college, they walked in and no, their friend, this girl, Sally walks in on someone watching porn and freaks out. Mm. And so her friend group came, uh, they started saying, I like that uh, about as much as not Sally, it was Mary. I like that about as much as Mary likes porn. Love that. And then the same, mm. she was like, I was in an airport and I heard someone say that. And oh I looked gosh. and it was no one from my friend group, wow. which means that that made it out of the friend wow. group. It could. Wow. She was like, it could only be that Mary and that porn. Like, who, what I else mean, could they be referencing? You know, it travels. It I travels. have a friend who recently she likes BoJack Horseman, and she and she was watching this uh, one of the episodes where his mother dies, and he goes to Taco Bell and he gets a churro, and then somebody asks him how he's doing, and he's like, my mother died, and all I got is a free churro. She that happened to her. Her mother died. She went to Taco Bell. She they she they're like, what you know, like you know, what would you like? She starts crying. They're like, are you okay? And she's like, my mom died, and they gave her a free churro. <laughs> then she's watching, you know, years later because it happened when she's a teenager. Now we're you know, like in her late thirties and, and whatnot, and she's a uh, watching BoJack Horseman, 
they say the thing. And she's like, there's no fucking way that somebody I knew that I said that in high school with doesn't write for BoJack Horseman or said it, right. you know, and kind of pass on that story. Because that is a funny story. Yeah, say. it is a funny story. It's mother, right? But yeah, the, the, the thing that like passes, I, I had this in a previous conversation with uh, Kazel Organism where we were discussing like how music shifts across the nation. You know, he was from Detroit, he was in LA. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just talking about, you know, we're in also a good example is Dilla and Madlib, you know, like somebody hears it there, they go to LA, they're like, look, y'all got to like hook up, this is a whole thing. And, you know, it just, it, meanwhile, you know, you look at these trends and these tapes and these like, and, and these um, artists that kind of gain popularity and it has to be through friends, but I suspect mostly cousins. I think cousins come around, they're like, you got to hear this, you know, like I got well, this. Well, what about like internationally, when we think about like Detroit and like the relationship between Detroit and like. Berlin, mm. you know, and that's been a, right. a long and deep and constant thing, mm -hmm. and they've been informing each other musically for a really long time. Mm. Um, right. Whose cousin is going from yeah, Detroit maybe someone to in the military? Ma yeah, maybe. Maybe a military. <laughs> you know, how many cousins? You got a lot of cousins. I got a lot of cousins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Are they uh, are they all into music? They all like the things. How do y'all? My, I think it's like a cultural thing. Like everyone in my family, like sings and dances and I guess that's typical with everyone except for Americans right like yeah probably yeah I think I, I'm like I, I'm the only dancer in my family we're all smart asses though we're all, we're all <laughs> fucking amateur comedians for sure even chiller like three fucking cracking jokes and talking shit to, talking shit to me I'm like you're three I'm fucking throw you in a trash can <laughs> I don't care I don't like kids um did they any of them ever go to raves you were raved together you were a rave family ever did I take any of my, I took one of my cousins to a rave when I was like uh, in high school. I fed her like mini thins. We used to do, did you guys ever do mini oh, thins? Totally. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Until they like took them off of the market because they yeah. realized everyone was trying to get high on them. Right, right. But yeah, I fed her a bunch of mini thins and took her to a rave and it blew her mind. Yeah. 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 I still have a pack of Mexican Ritalin I got like four or five years ago and I mm -hmm. keep it in my travel bag just in case. <laughs> Somebody always on the trip gets too fucked up. They can't hold their head up. And I got to shove a Mexican Ritalin in their mouth and be like, we're got to go to dinner. Get it together. <laughs> you know, and then they're like, I can't eat. Like, this is really, I'm like, they're really strong, right? I don't ever fucking take them. Like, I just, they're emergencies only. Uh, I, you know, I was reading interviews. I was catching up. I said, who, you know, who is this Anna Momo? I want to know more about her. Like, what can I find? And I saw a thing, and we talked a little bit about this last night when we met. We're talking about going to the rave for the first time and how we felt. And you mentioned this in the interview, too, where you said you walked in and you felt as if you were home. And I had yeah. the exact same feeling. Yeah. Can you describe a little bit about what that was like to me? Or to describe it to us? Oh, the first time uh, the first time I was at a rave, it just felt um, I mean, this is kinda kinda like kinda deep, but I was a pre like pretty depressed kid. Oh. I felt like really alone same. and really isolated, extremely yeah. misunderstood, mm -hmm. just like a total outsider. I grew up in like a super uh Christian household. I was not a Christian. I had a difficult time connecting to like organized religion. And, um, uh, and also I was the only non-black person in my house. So I was always called the Chinese cousin. <laughs> I'm not Chinese, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of yeah. same like, wait, right. China, like, yeah. Yeah. and, um, and so I was othered even in my own home, you know, like mm -hmm. even in the place I grew up. And then I, and then I went to a rave and I took MDMA and it was as if like, I got like, plugged back into like the universal right. you know like juice like back mm -hmm. to the source where all right. of a sudden definitely mdma you know yeah. for sure helped facilitate that but that mixed with the music mixed with a bunch of strangers that just wanted to hug and kiss me mm -hmm. like uh, i was just like yeah can we just do this forever well, yep, and yep. that's basically how i ended up where i am now is i just never stopped doing that Same. you know i was right. like i'm just gonna do this until someone until we're done <laughs> until they say so that i cannot that. do until it they won't yeah right. no say, i think we're twins same thing you know it's like othered or i wasn't enough or maybe i was too yeah. much and then you know like just trying to figure out where I fit in, and, but at the same time picking up these different things. You know, like definitely, you know, I remember the first time I, you know, like I fell in love with hip hop. I was eight, Yo MTV Raps, De La Soul, me, myself, and I, and I yeah. said, that's who I am, that's me. And then the next time was walking into a rave. I think I was 17, and the minute, it was Austin Music Hall, the minute I walked inside, I was like, it, this is it. This is where it's home. This is where I'm always going to be. Yeah. This is who I am. I had to take a hiatus. Or like after things went into massives, I kind of I took a little hiatus there. And I was like, a lot of my friends were dying. So yeah. I was like, you know, I had to, you know, like kind of shift away. And then I was like, found myself in a pop punk and like screamo 
group of kids, and I was like, what are y'all, I, what are y'all doing here? You're like, ween? What's going on? What are you I doing? was going to punk and ska shows before I found the rave mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. And then I took ecstasy, and I was like, y'all are sad. really sad yeah. and mad. Is that yours, my girl? You can't get yeah. her. You talk to her. I don't understand why, you know. Yeah. your shoes smell? Because and you then, never get change them. When the massive started happening, I remember, like, w- raves got weird. I remember, like, Ron Jeremy hosting raves. Whoa. And, like, yeah, like, would be, like, porn stars hosting yeah. raves. And there would be, like, um, like uh, I went to one rave in New York and Slipknot was there and like the guys from Jackass and oh and also uh uh met the met the man and um saw him at a couple of races uh yeah and then uh I met yeah and then uh uh ODB was at this one rave in in the DMV room he smoked PCP on stage that'll happen yeah PCP is wild like I never had I've not, you know, I've never, there's a few drugs where I'm like, I don't really feel like ever doing that. And I remember some kid was like, I smoke PCP or whatever. And I was like, uh, why? What do you, what do you like about it? And he was like, I just feel like so confident I can rob a bank. And I was like, okay, right there. Like that, that whole <laughs> sentence right there is like a big fucking no, man. Uh, what, I think that there was an electric daisy carnival here, like when it first started kicking off and it had it at the, uh, there was an old airplane hangar and, um, you know, they, they, so they had the rape, cool Keith. Did a, did a, he was throwing out fried chicken in little plastic bags and Capri Suns. He was just tossing in the crowd. That's hilarious. But he also had a military sign-up. So kids Whoa. were all fucked up, but they had a table where they were like trying to enlist people in the fucking military. Whoa. And shit. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of dark. Was all like, mm-hmm. That's dark. Yeah, that's real dark. That man. shouldn't be considered consensual. Not at all, but you know, I think that it was, uh, oh, we're still doing Desert Storm, or no, 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 we are back, we're now in a, well, yeah, probably was a Desert Storm situation. Desert Storm bleeds into the 9-11. Building seven inside job, but uh, yeah, like it kind of bleeds over those wars. I guess they overlap and whatnot, right? We never pulled out I, of Iraq and then went straight I, into. I had a conversation one. once with a friend about a Brit, like who's British about nine eleven. Mm. Who was I? Was like I don't know anyone in New York City who doesn't think it was an inside job. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he was like, "Don't you think that if it was." Like at this point, like the truth would have come out. It would have been so many people that would have had to be involved with it, you know, yeah. all this stuff. And I was like, We still don't know who fucking no. killed JFK. No, you know I don't know. Like, think. It was like, like a guy on the grassy knoll with the yeah. fucking, the fucking, now they're like, Oh, never mind, controlling him with fucking LSD or whatever. We don't know. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, my friend says, Don't give him too much credit. But I'm like, When you don't give him too much credit, that's when you should give him credit. I don't know if that works, but you feel what I'm saying? I'm, like, <laughs> you know, I'm, not, what, I'm just not going to ignore. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to ignore some of the weird shit. The fact of does. the matter is whatever they claimed happened is we know is we not, know what, happened, not what, happened, what happened. So, yeah. Yeah. You know that uh, the Patriot Act is a whole acronym um, whenever they came out with the Patriot Act, which means, so every single word in the Patriot Act letter stands for a word. Oh, wow. And I know it's too long. I can't remember what it is, but it basically says we can have your fucking data. But what makes me mad about that? Is that during a time of crisis, they were like, "We need a fucking, we need a catchy name. Somebody, go, go, Ellen, go into the, go in that room, and and we want to say Patriot Act. Figure out how to how to make it work. That's a lot of letters yeah. to make into a word that makes sense. You know, right. to phrase. Let's just, yeah. Anyways, Bush is evil. Reagan to burn in hell. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know. So rave. We're coming home. Do you remember who you were first seen at the, your very first rave? You know, remember who was playing? For me, it was Electric Sky Church. Never seen him again after that. Um, I remember. The acts that I remember really being impressed with were like Rabbit in the Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was really into that, like the trancey break sound. I was okay. really into trance at the time because I was doing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. ecstasy. I think that's um, the first. There I think was the gateway. Uh, there was a was it Space Girl. There was this Russian girl who would yep. show up and play like mm-hmm. do like live sets. Yeah, it was I like trance. It was Space girl. And uh, and I was really into that. And then Extreme. And then I started getting really into like LA style, like like hard style, like mm-hmm. hardcore, like mm-hmm. Omar Santana type stuff. Um, I, this is when I started going straight edge. I told you like at 16, I was like, I'm not going to do drugs anymore at the rave. Right. So I was just like going to parties completely sober, which I liked because I remembered everything mm-hmm. and everyone. Um, and then that's how, that's how I got super into like the drum and bass jungle, like the side room vibe. Yeah, side I, I realized that like trance doesn't hit the same if you're not on ecstasy. Right, right, right. Just right. doesn't. It's all like, you're like, this is real you're like, yeah. and I feel like a little angel. That's me, right. And you're like, yeah. I'm wearing baby blue, like yeah. cultures stuff. So it's got a gadzooks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I got into like trance breaks way out West was one of the ones I remember going to alien records here in town and like, and that was, I had no money, but that was like a CD that I bought. I think it still holds up. Too. The gift way out uh, way out west really good, 
Um, but probably more cinematic. Could probably be placed mm-hmm. in a movie than I wouldn't want to, you know, spend all night, you know, doing drugs and dancing around to it. Uh, it you know, it's uh, I think it is the gateway. Side rooms, you know, I was talking to Nicky Nair a few a few uh, interviews ago, and he was mentioning, you know, like getting started out doing the side room, and that's something that raves are lacking these days. There's no side room. Is it? Do they have a side room in LA? What's going on? They got what are they doing out there? Um, yeah. Not really. Right. Uh, so, I mean, <clears throat> I also am very fond of, like, um, because at that time when you were going to parties, there was usually, like, two or three areas of sound. There was, like, usually, you know, the main floor, which mm-hmm. would be, like, house, techno, trance, mm-hmm. and then your side room, which was, like, hardcore, DMB, jungle, gabber, right. and then the outdoor or whatever, like chill out area where it'd be like more ambient, whatever vibes. Yeah. Um, and I am really partial to that. And I, and, and so much so that when I usually go out, I go to multiple events in a night so I can get that feeling of like mm. all the spots okay. you know what I mean yeah. like you want to like hit all the spots you know like you're going and all you're the like, chakras yeah. yeah you know okay. I'm like I'm gonna go here for this I'm gonna go here for this I'm gonna go here for that like try it on and um and I miss the multi-genre you know like vibe that there used to be but now I feel like that's coming back but it's more coming back in like one set right like I went to right. see object with some friends the other night in LA and it was just like a big warehouse party and my friend who was he's like a decade older than me um and he he's this really sick like DJ and producer he was like like, you know, the set feels like um, it feels like all of the rooms in one set, you know. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah. And I feel like that luckily is becoming more and more of a thing, which is very much like how I play. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, uh, yes. and the people who have influenced me, right. um, I think I was in the scene for a really long time and I didn't start DJing until I was like 30. Mm-hmm. So I was like way late. And partially, I think being like, a woman of color maybe having not seeing yourself re- represented in that way you kind of right. don't really think about yourself as being in that like that being for me kind of thing but also I had it took me a while to hear people play in a way that I was like I relate to that like that feels like something I would do right I think there were a few people in New York there's a few like very strong local DJ there's a lot of really strong local DJs in New York honestly but uh I think it was Jubilee mm-hmm. who was one of the big influences yeah. on me like she was playing like Sean Paul, Grime, House, uh, you know, Electro breaks in one set. And yeah. I was just like, yes, yeah, this is, yeah. I was like, this is, this, if I was going to DJ, it would sound something like this. It'd be like all my favorite tracks. And, and that's basically still how I DJ. Mm-hmm. Like, I, cause I'm, I never know what I want to play until I start playing. Like, I don't like plan out sets and, and it's partially cause I like want to fe- feel, you know, what's going on. I'm listening to what's happening before me. I'm looking at what's happening after me. And most people do have like a genre or BPM range they stay in. So I'm kind of like, I, you don't want to give people stuff that they've already had or they've had for too long. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it feels like they really want to stay in that zone. Mm-hmm. But you can tell, like, do they want to shift? Is this the vibe? If it's not the vibe, then let's go somewhere else. But either way, like, um, I feel like uh, it, it takes, like, being, I don't know, present mm-hmm. to really understand how to have that conversation, yes. like, with the audience and right. with yourself in a way that feels authentic. It's an emotional intelligence. You, you're, you seem as an emotional intelligent person. Now you're, you're applying this. I honestly feel like empathy is one of the strongest like traits a DJ can have like that ability to to feel what's happening in the room and then respond like in real time Mm -hmm. and be like what do people need right now Mm -hmm. you know like where are they at how are they feeling um and I think that that's one of the things to me that distinguishes because right now we have a thing where in America for sure more than other places the role of the DJ and the producer are getting very deeply intertwined and a lot of producers are forced to DJ when most of them just want to be in the studio they don't want to be out necessarily DJing you know but they have to do it to make money Um, or you have a lot of DJs that are you know if they're not they're like being told if you're not a producer like no one cares so they're like being forced to make music yeah. that maybe they don't want to be in the studio because yeah. they're, you know, they're just very different personality types. They're very different skill set types. Um, and um, I just think that um, for me, when I'm listening to a producer set, it's usually not someone that spent a lot of time on the dance floor mm-hmm. or like listening to what 
people are telling them it's more like I'm I created a thing I made a gift and I'm gonna present it to you mm. right versus like a DJ is often like where are the people at where right. are you at and like how do I just turn you on and it's kind of a different conversation like that. one is more of a conversation and right. one is a little bit more like uh you know an offering yeah, right? yeah. Like in a way like a blessing to them and this yeah. I you know I love how you put this um you know I think that it's Somewhere in, in all in the, I think that uh, encompasses all the artistic communities, right? They're they're doing their thing, and somebody's like, "Well, we need to do this other thing because money." Yeah. Uh, and with production, <laughs> you know, obviously you are producing and you are DJing. You know, what was it? Was it similar that the reasons you just gave was that a similar way why you went into production? What what drove you towards that? Um, it wasn't honestly. It wasn't a plan. I just naturally started making edits for my like DJ sets. Yeah. And then uh, other DJs were asking me like for those edits. Mm -hmm. And then basically there's a producer in New York who's also an amazing DJ um, called Dr. Jeep. And uh, we had a back-to-back. -back. He invited me um, to a lot radio to do a back-to-back -back with him on the radio. And he was like, afterwards, he was like, do you make music? I feel like we have the same exact taste and I was like yeah I mean I do but like I don't really finish stuff he was like you know what come to my house and like let me see your let me see your projects bring mm -hmm. your able to let me see your projects so I went to his house and he gave me tips on how to finish some stuff and he he took this one edit that I had made it was like a dance hall tune that I just threw like these Doc Scott like drums on like this like DMV like drums on this like nice. dance hall tune and he was like this is sick I'm gonna play it on Red Bull radio tomorrow and he did and he shouted me out. And anytime I would see him play live, and he was one of my favorite DJs, he would play one of my tracks oh, in his sets. And that really was one of the things that pushed me towards production was that it was getting a lot of support from people I respected. Um, mm -hmm. And that, like, I was basically just, it was very organic. I was making these these edits for my sets. People were like, these are dope. I want them. And then eventually what happened was labels started asking me for original tracks. And I was like, well, I'll figure it out. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I can do that. But what's funny is I am more of a DJ and I consider myself a DJ. The production stuff has been, um, it's usually just because people are asking me for something. So it's rare that I just like go in the studio and just like make something that uh, I want to share. Um, a lot of the stuff that I do make in the studio, it's more like journal entries. They're a bit like personal. Okay. Right, yeah. Um, they're not like exactly dance floor stuff. Um, but then the stuff that I share, it's literally just because like a label has asked me, like they're like, can we have a track? Can we have something for this? And so almost everything that I've released, and I looked the other day on my like SoundCloud, it's like something like 30 or 31 tracks by now, like things that I've like put out. Um, but almost all of them are are just for someone else. And, 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 and so I think about it too, my approach to it is very similar to DJing in that I think about the context of, well, what is this label? What do they represent? What are their sounds? Who's listening to them, et cetera, et cetera. What does Anna Morgan sound like through that lens? Um, <clears throat> so it's still a sort of adaptive thing versus like, what do I have to say right now in this moment that's mm. personal? Like less about personal expression and like mm -hmm. more about like I don't know being an, of service mm -hmm. yeah right there you know um and, and just for a second like going into like you know my, my day job and stuff I, I use that right I'm all like look I'm at service I'm serving the people above me I'm serving the people below me and I think that that's you know usually where you know you could apply that to, to almost anything that you do and, and you should right like it's like you're constantly serving someone else and in that you're going to you know get served back right like you're gonna like you know obviously there's there's injustices and there's things that like aren't fair but you know I think in the long run you know no matter what uh the payout would be you still know that you did something true and, and something good that reminds me of uh someone once said to me that there are two two approaches to doing anything or two paths there's the path of serving yourself and the path of serving others and like you can do anything in in those two ways yeah. essentially yeah. and i thought that that was interesting and i like i don't know i've been thinking about that a lot and i feel like um like something about like if you're if you're doing something in service to other people it does come back to you mm -hmm. in like a way that's like satisfying and like healing and like healthy but if you're doing something in a cycle where it's only let energy is just feeding back into itself it can get perverse mm -hmm. you know right yeah right it begins to you know like lose some of that um that intention right you're kind of like you're, in a way it's almost like a 
a, a slot machine. You know, you're just kind of going to get pulling in here. Like if one of these is going to do, or like, you know, you're, you I mean, obviously you're serving yourself. You're trying to get what you want, but it, maybe there's even a danger and, you know, continually say that you're serving someone, but intent, but you really have the focus on for it coming back to you, which right. I know people say as well. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. Karma for me. And I'm like, yeah. you know, you can't, you, there's no guarantees. Yeah. There's no guarantees. Uh, yeah. About, you know, the production and what you're doing and how you're applying your theory and your strategy and, and thinking about, you know, Anna Morgan through this lens, you have a track named Grace. Um, and, huh. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, you know. So actually, that track is is one of the few things I've put out that is personal. Okay. And I wrote that for me. Right, right. And, but it and there's a Nicki Minaj sample in it. There's also a sliver of. So I had just watched a, a Grace Jones interview. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you caught that. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a classic J Grace Jones interview um, sample that I have in there because I had just watched the interview and what happened was I wasn't getting paid. I had um, like three different male promoters that owed me money and I really felt like I wouldn't have been in that situation if I didn't have a vagina. Mm -hmm. And I was, so yeah. I was, and I had, and I'd seen this Grace Jones who's like, big up Jake, Grace Jones. She's like, you know, one of the most like iconic Jamaicans. Yeah. I love her forever. Um, but, um, you know, this jerk is just like interviewing her and asking her, you know, like these questions about like, you know, is, is she, uh, is she like, um, if she, if she's like kind of like an intimidating woman and like things like this, you mm -hmm. know, and, um, yeah, it's just yeah. really dumb. And, yeah. and she was just like, I just want people to be on their best behavior. You know what I mean? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. But yeah, that, that, uh, that tune was specifically like kind of like a fuck you yeah. to like dudes like fuck dudes basically totally. in the industry yeah. and um and it was like a big up to like other women in the industry which ends up actually serving them right because it you know you you mentioned that it's a uh, you know, dedication to men who define dedication to women who define their own femininity mm -hmm. and clearly you you know you touched on this a little bit and I think that we all have a story about this where like a man or a work just wants to define what your femininity should be. You know, I yeah. run, in this, run into this constantly, especially being like the breakdance scene. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and also being a music fan, right? Like, yeah. and, and just being so in tune to like music history and like different genres and everything like that. And that can be intimidating to men sometimes. I don't know if it's intimidating to women. I'm intimidated, but I can't ask a woman out. I'm just like, you shoot me down. That's it. I'm just fucking done. I'm hanging on by a string. I can't handle I'm more heartbreak. I'm honestly very similar <laughs> with women. Like, or I can't, I will, I can't say no to women. Yeah, totally. It's terrible. Like, whatever you whatever want. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. I'll be your doormat. Yeah. My friends, <laughs> like, girlfriends are like, I don't know about her. I'm all like, I will give you anything. You want a soda? I'll fucking find one right now. I'll make it. I don't care. Like, I'm like, you're my fucking homie's girlfriend. But even like trying to see a beautiful woman, I'm like, I can't. I, I don't know what to say, you know, but with a man, they're, they're kind of dumb. I can pretty much say anything until I start talking about shit I like. Then yeah. I'm well, you know, it helps that I'm boob height. I'm pretty small. So I just motorboat. Some, no, oh, I'm just kidding. Looks, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it, I, you know, I need to get some boobies. I'm not I'm kidding. <laughs> I would love a motorboat here and there. Uh, but yeah, you know, like, so, you know, it, I, I assume that, you know, we're, we're, we're up here. We've been living, we've been experiencing, we've been, we've been, we have lots of, you know, uh, experiences under our belt, you know, but in that time, you know, you probably had somebody try to define your femininity and so many oh, different aspects. Oh, I mean, all the time. I battled against this, like when I was a kid constantly, cause I was like a total tomboy cause my mm -hmm. father raised me, but you know, um, and then it wasn't until when I was in, like, in my early 20s, I started dancing. I was stripping. Mm. And this was when I finally appreciated my femininity. I was pissed about it. I was pissed about being in a, in a, in a female body. Mm. I felt like I had been shortchanged. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, then, and then when I started dancing, I was like, oh, there's some power in this. This mm -hmm. is cool. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then I started playing a lot more with, like, feminine energy. And then I met a group of essentially, like, witches. Mm who took me in mm -hmm. and then I that's when I really started like understanding the the power of the feminine divine and really like right. um cultivating that in myself and cultivating that in relationship with other women um but uh, you know, what's funny is now I have all these friends that are like non-binary, which makes like perfect sense to me. And I was like, yeah. if I was a younger person, honestly, right. like probably I would, I would want to be considered non-binary, but yeah. I've done so much work to establish that like, just because I don't fit into this, like 
idea of woman, you know, this like mass idea of like what it is to be feminine or what it is to be a woman doesn't make me any less of a woman. I'm just like my own version of that. And, and so I think that like having carried that torch for a long time, I'm like comfortable now. I've accepted. I was like, I'm a girl. This is cool. I still feel like I'm playing like like a like dress up if I like but you know what I mean like the hair and the net like to me it's like it's like dress up the heels like a dress like Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like not myself but like it's fun you know it's like like a bit of a costume yeah Yeah. I was thinking about that as well I'm I'm unpacking all my clothes and you know like I think generally during the day I'm very tomboyish you know like I like my little baseball hat and like you know a crop top with like baggy jeans or whatever I'm a little cute, but like, you know, I, I also have really sexy clothes and like really yeah. cute heels, you know, like in a little bit of a sub in bed. Uh, yeah. But like, I don't know if that actually means, you know, actually that part doesn't even define femininity. But for, you know, what I'm getting at actually is that for such a long time, up until, you know, the non binary discussion did come in to the social fold, that I was like, I never really, I never saw myself as a woman. I yeah. was like, I'm a Misa. Yeah. This is who I am. I'm a Misa. Misa likes to do these things. You know, she's making these choices. And, you know, like it, it, it the only time I really felt, a woman was when I was being discriminated against or like sexually assaulted or something yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Or yeah. Taken advantage of by some like, you know, yeah. uh, boyfriend who yeah. thought it was lesser than and like yeah. was treating me, you know, like as, you know, like as a, a subordinate, yeah. um, which, you know, happens to be what happens to women in yeah. know, popular culture. Right. Um, and, you know, clearly you know, you've mentioned this, that you've experienced this with like people and artists and like, you know, um, they've tried to define this, they've tried to do whatever they can to box you in and, and define serenity, like femininity. Um, for you and you know like now that as you're older do you find yourself when that does if that if that happens and when that does happen how quick are you to squash that whole situation honestly as I've gotten older I don't even pay it any mind Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you know I there when I was younger I was definitely you know not that I'm like old but like you know what I'm saying like there's a point where you just have fire and you're like more confrontational about stuff yes and then like there, there are some things now where it's like, you're not even worth my like energy. Like 100%. you're like, your yeah, like, like vibration uh, is yeah, like, so right, like right. not even, yeah. you know what? It's so low. Real. Like you're not even real to me. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Like I'm not even going to bother yeah, with you in that conversation. It's generally, if I feel like the moment is teachable and like someone actually has an air where they like be willing to listen, mm. that I'll be willing to have that conversation right, right, and be like, you right. know what? you did this, like, didn't make me feel great, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And see so where, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, that cool. yeah. <laughs> I did actually doing? recently have a thing where I was like booked for this like really big show. I did, I ha- I was, did not feel great about it. I emailed the promoters after two white dudes, straight white dudes. Um, and I uh, never got an email back. And I was like, cool, that just tells me where you stand. 100%, dude. I did that uh, here. Even it wasn't a white male, but he was a straight dude. And, you know, like we had a lot of beef or whatever. Actually, he had a lot of beef with me. I have no reason why we're both in the breakdance scene. And, you know, it went on years and it was just like a harrowing, you know, hero's journey for me. And I thought it was always amusing. So I was like, you really try hard to like hold me down. I honestly don't give a shit. Yeah. yeah. So I remember once trying to squash it with him and like shaking his hand, looking in his eye. And I was like, hey always respected what you did you know if you want to try it a little bit more we can step outside and just have a little talk he said, oh, all right i'll meet you out there never fucking came outside i was like well okay you know like at least i at least now i know that i put you know my foot forward to kind of to squash it and it's like here on out i really don't give a fuck about it i never did before but now it's just like you've really kind of lowered yourself in my eyes because you didn't take the opportunity to meet me you know and and just be you know like and just and squash it and and and, and just put it to bed right you said you're gonna be a little bitch about it not to feminize the word bitch, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, you know, like, <laughs> but to being a little worm, I like that actually. Calling people little worms, a little worm, <laughs> a little worm, I'm going to squash you. Okay. Uh, so, you know, um, I, I was, again, doing some research, checking out, we're talking about promoting, we're talking about parties, we're talking about clubs, you yeah. know, obviously a, you know, strong, independent woman who's creating, creative I saw that you uh, curated a, a festival in El Salvador, of all places. I did. What was yeah. that? Yeah. Such a – wow. Tell. Tell us. What going um, on? Wow. That was a long time ago. But basically I had these friends that were – that threw a festival in El Salvador. And then the next year the guy that owned the venue that the event had happened in 
they weren't coming back to do it. So he contacted me and was like, will you do it this year? And I was like, okay. Very lax. <laughs> so, so, um, uh, and then luckily the, this team, they're, uh, they're architects, this team, they, they came back and were like, we are going to do it. And I was like, cool. Can I just do the music part? So Damn. I just got to do the lineup and the like, uh, and the music, uh, scheduling and stuff. And yeah. I did book, uh, like I do with a lot of lineups. And it's funny, funny. Cause the thing I don't really openly talk about in that way, but it was mostly women. Mm -hmm. And that's where I met my partner who I run the label worst behavior Rex with was, uh, I had booked another Jamaican, um, from Boston who now goes by was it Chocolate Thunder? Love Chocolate. Um, but they were going by Rack City and then Rakita. And now it's like Chocolate Chocolate. Well, anyways. Yeah. Um, they brought uh, Bell Curve, who's mm -hmm. my partner in the label. And that was Bell Curve's like, first festival yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But okay. yeah, it was just uh, What a fun time. Friends. You're creating this you're, the label, the worst behavior, which I love, the yeah. name. And I, I read a little bit how that started. And, and, you know, like, and love the collaboration. She was like, I just, you, I think it was you that said, uh, I want somebody on, I want them all in the worst behavior. Was it? Bell Curve said this. So basically, uh, we were talking about her first EP release party. And she was like, you know, I just want people to play whatever they, I want them to play like their B-sides. And like, I yeah. want them to be on like their worst behavior, like play what they feel like they shouldn't be allowed to. Yeah. Let's just get weird. And I was like, you know what? And for like a year, we were like, we need a name for this label we keep talking about. So um, that's how I was like, worst behavior. I was like, that'd be a good name for a party. Or we could, do, you know, I mean, name for the label. Yeah. So that's how we got the name for I the label, that. worst behavior yeah. Rex. So Isabel, big, big thing, right? Bell Curve, she, she's saying like, oh, we're, we're, I'm at my homegirl. Now we're doing a label. Now I'm booking out my first life on El Salvador Festival. What a big, big time for yeah. you. I love that for you. We love, we love experiences. We love a good success story. <laughs> uh, you do so much. You know, you're, do, you're out here. You're doing, you're creating, you're, you're working, you're, you're, you're on the phone, you're making mixes, you're on the laptop. How do you relax? What's it look like? I like a hot tub. Mm, I like to smoke some weed. Oh, yeah, I love it. Um, edibles? You like edibles? You like edibles? I can't with the edibles. What about dabs? I don't do the dabs. I can't really with the dabs either. The last time I dabbed, I'm pretty sure I had what's probably a panic attack. Oh, totally. I had never had a panic attack before, oh, but like I was describing, I was like my, everything went numb and tingly and like everything started closing in yeah. and I was like, I yeah. can't see right now. And my friend was like, mm -hmm. and I, I, she was like, are you having a panic attack? I was like, I don't know. I just stabbed. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, what are they like? We need to Google it. <laughs> 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 symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, yo, nobody needs to be this high ever. Sure, like, I sure. never need to be this high again. Sure. Did you ever do knife hits with hash? Uh, did you ever do that? No. My friends would get, like, little pieces of hash, and we'd get two, like, cheap butter knives in their shitty apartment. We'd put it, like, on an electric stove. We would heat up the little butter knives, and then it would get so hot. And then we'd take a little hash, oh. and we'd put it on the, and we'd, and then it'd be like, now inhale the smoke that comes out of the butter knives with the hash. And I never got, or they'd put it under, like, a plastic solo cup, and you have to suck it out. Man. I, I lived ratchet for a good so minute. Funny. Like the 2000, I mean, it was a, we were at a war. Never. We were at a war. We were in war. It was a war time. I, Bush was president. I recently got into some ketamine. Love that, yeah. Um, my, my, when I was in Hawaii, um, we were, instead of going out, we were doing like playing chess and doing K. <laughs> <You know>? And <laughs> Good old uh, time. I, and I do like a little bit of that. Um, yeah, these are what, you know it's it is the the research is in it, you know the research is in it's actually it. incredible we called yeah. it in the 90s and the 2000s we, did, yeah. we were like look these drugs pretty good uh yeah. make you feel some stuff you should probably dip in yeah i tried to sell ketamine in the early 90s before like it went really, <laughs> it went really wild right like everybody was on meth and i was like trying to sell and i i'm also a terrible drug dealer and i was i found that out in the 90s and i was like children tapping at a fucking rave and i'm like uh, would you like what i was like would would you like some ketamine and they're like what is it like a horse tranquilizer <laughs> and they're like god no and then i couldn't get enough money to buy my acid which is what i really wanted uh so stop that but then now you know everybody's they're, they're charging thousands of dollars or thousand dollar sessions for a ketamine session yeah wow. yeah there's ketamine clinics mm -hmm. my friend yeah. was gonna be mr dent you know he had some breakthroughs on ketamine but then he was also like you know if you feel good for like the hour after then it's just all back to that shit. I'm like, you gotta do the work. I don't you know gotta do the work. You, do you gotta work. do the work. You gotta, you gotta yeah. dig in. It's yeah. also a man. Yeah. I'm not a man hater. I'm just saying. I've had a lot of experience. <laughs> so you're relaxing. You're doing. You're you're you're, you're, you're hot tub. You know. What about comfort food? You have the oxtails. Yeah, comfort foods. I like soup. I make a lot of soups. Mm. I, I make soups constantly. Mm. 
Yeah. The kind of what, what, what soup did you make recently? You know, uh, well, yesterday I made like a curry lentil. Nice. Nice. Yeah. 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 Morning, I like a, it was what was in my house mushroom barley I like a beef beef mushroom barley mm, I also I like, do a like a mushroom wild barley. turkey or wild rice and turkey with mushroom I like mushrooms a lot mushrooms are my favorite really mine they're too. my favorite food to eat I, oh. not only are they delicious they're also so cute they are so adorable. they're so cute you ever go to a, a place and they have all these different mushrooms and you're just like yeah. I've never even heard about this you know, yeah the lion's mane I fried it oh man so I made a, a crab cakes once out of lion's mane me too Delicious. So good. Yeah, I was like, so I'm going to do this again. Lime yeah. is very expensive. Though, very but so good for your brain. Very good yeah. for your brain. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you and know, your memory. We're, you know, you're, you're here. We, you're, you've done something. Here, so you're here. a lovely lady. You know, like, um, what, what, uh, what advice would you give to these ex aspiring, you know, like uh, DJs? And it doesn't have to be gender specific. Just anybody who's coming up and they said, you know what? I want to get myself a little setup. I want to, I want to play a, a party sometime. I, I would say if you feel inclined to do it, just do it. Um, don't feel like you have to do it the way anyone else says you have to do it. Don't feel like you have to do it uh, the way that it's, you know, DJ culture is a very strong and alive thing. Um, but you don't have to fit yourself into that. Like you can be your own model. You, you can use yourself as the measure. Um, so long as you have an idea of like what you want to hear and that's not a thing that's happening, just make that real, you know, and do it because you can't not do it. This is very true. Yeah. You know, there's so many things where I was like on the fence of, and I said, if I, on my deathbed, what will I regret not doing it? And with the answer is yes, and I fucking do it no matter yeah. what cost. Yeah. yeah, because even if it doesn't work out in whatever way you want it to, you'll at least know that, and you won't be wondering like, what if I, you know, totally. which is the worst. The it's worst. actually the worst. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and I and I think that it's also really important for for people who aren't um, used to seeing themselves, you know, reflected, whether that's sonically, like maybe there's music that you want to hear that just doesn't exist yet. That's all of the more reason for mm -hmm. you to be doing the thing, yeah. you know, is cause we need that offering. Like the mm -hmm. world needs that. We yes. need it. Um, so yeah, okay. I would say just, just be you and be as authentic to that as possible. Like awesome. do you as hard as you can. And if someone says that's weird and that's different, just keep doing that because that's eventually the thing that's going to make you special. Yeah. You think that diva want to take off those little hats? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Somebody I'm sure told them they're weird. Now look at it. Love those hats. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Thank you for bringing your robe. Thank you for hanging out with me today and drinking these little mescalitas that we're, we're having. We're going to have some more. You know, we're going we're gonna to go yeah, have a dinner. I don't know where, but we're going to do that. I know. I just... I'm going to see you tomorrow. You're going to fucking melt my face with the bass. And I'm just so happy that I met you. Anna Momo. <laughs> I'm going to change my name to Anna Momo now. It finally worked. <laughs> <laughs> got Nikki 2K. We got Anna Momo. <laughs> and Craw Bobby. He Thanks like for it. having me. I love you. Oh, I love you. Okay. Yay. <laughs>